So, um, it, sorry I can't treat your affection, as it is really about the, the fact that after 70 years we're starting to lose the miracle drug that penicillin was when it first came along. And it was advertised as a miracle drug, and we made one fundamental error right at the beginning. We gave access to everybody, because nobody can be denied the miracle, can they? Um, but, uh, so we've got another 70 years to turn that around, have we? That's the real question. So, you've all heard the term superbugs, it's probably one of my most hated terms, um, uh, but uh, it, it continuously appears on, uh, in the me on and in the media. It certainly got to um, Kerry O'Brien, and he does look terribly worried. <laughs> Uh, about superbugs, and of course we do want to worry about superbugs, otherwise um, I'd be out of a job and there'd be no point in establishing surveillance for it. But uh, we do want to worry about antibiotic resistance and we do want more responsible use of antibiotics and that's really the topics that I'm going to address. Now of course the problem with antibiotics is they're called drugs and they're drugs in one sense but they're not drugs at all because they're designed not to do anything at all to us. Every other drug we take is designed to do something to the body. These are different. Um, and the thing, the other big mistake we made right at the beginning is we forgot how ancient their targets are. Bacteria have been on the planet for 3.4 billion years. They've learned a few tricks. And survival is definitely one of them. And we shouldn't be surprised at all uh, about antibiotic resistance, it's literally Darwinian evolution, survival of the fittest. And so we're seeing nature play out over the last 70 years uh, and much more rapid evolution than anybody could have ever expected. So there are lots of superbugs and we love acronyms. Um, MRSA, MRSP, VRE, SBL, on and on it goes. Um, and uh, so we can scare people with all of these so-called superbugs and really, I'm not here to scare you, I'm here to tell you that it's a much more complicated story than that, um, and one that's it's worth learning um, uh, uh, in any part of the healthcare system, um, because bugs are largely our friends, um, and uh, fecal uh, microbial transplant is definitely uh, uh, a more, most recent demonstration of um, the fact that our normal bacteria that we carry around are more our friends than our enemies. Gary, I can't wait until they develop the little device that we staple into your colon that monitors your fecal microbiota and gives it to you on your, uh, on your Apple Watch. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to come in my life. So we talk about these acronyms and we talk about uh, epidemics and we talk about nasty bugs with uh, with letters um, like MRSA, which most of you have termed you most to be familiar with, so with VRE, um, we're now seeing a global epidemic of so-called ESBL producing E. coli, which is probably our biggest friend in our commonest enemy. And we're starting to see uh, the latest of all enemies is carbapenemase producing enterobacteriation. But what a mouthful. You've got to learn microbiology and acronyms and all these enzymes, um, just remember the acronyms, that'll help you. But there's another story going on. We all think of bugs as contagious, um, but their genes are contagious. 
So bugs are doubly contagious and they're resistant genes. They can spread them from one bug to the next. And that's really the story for today. Um, and you'll see it play out when I do the example in a moment um, that what we're really seeing is a genetic epidemic, an, an epidemic of resistance genes travelling the globe using bacteria um, as a vehicle. Not good for us, fine for them. They get to travel even further the more resistant they are. So I'm going to concentrate on one of those four-letter acronyms, MRSA, which stands for Methicillin Resistant Story. This is not the LA story, it's the MRSA story. Um, and it's, uh, uh, there's a snapshot from a website about so-called MRSA survivors because we've been talking about this kind of resistance um, around the world now for 30 to 40 years. And it's not a stable story, it's a very unstable story as I uh, as I tell you, Australia got into MRSA early, sadly, and, and public hospitals on the eastern seaboard of Australia um, essentially got colonised with these uh, kinds of organisms uh, in the late 1970s. It took a while to crawl its way through to Adelaide and then it took off, and WA has kept the thing out by screening every person that comes from the eastern states that gets admitted to hospital. Um, and have kept out that ancient MRSA that we probably participated in creating an epidemic for the rest of the world because sometimes we call the Australian strain a Brazilian clone or something from Germany. So it appeared everywhere. But MRSA is just a methicillin resistant uh, variety of uh, Staphylococcus aureus, which we like to call the golden staph. I always have to try and help the journalists stop calling MRSA golden staph because that's the parent and it's the resistant golden staph and that's what we're going to talk about now. What does staph do to us? A whole variety of things, a huge range of things. These are all the common community infections. It causes boils, can cause school sores, cellulitis, wound infections after we damage our skin and, and provide a portal for entry. It can sometimes get in after viral infection into the sinus and cause disease. And sometimes people, uh, somewhat rarely, come in to hospital with uh, staphylococcal pneumonia, usually uh, preceded by a bout of influenza or another respiratory virus. But what makes people scared about it are the hospital-associated infections, um, and uh, so we get quite concerned about the fact that staph is a survivor in hospitals and can be transmitted from one patient to another. <coughs> Uh, although most of the infections that we do see are the staph we carry around ourselves. One quarter of you are carrying Staphylococcus aureus in your nose. Most of it will be sensitive to methicillin, and won't, so we call it MSSA. Uh, it's the methicillin-resistant varieties that are out there. But maybe 2 or 3% of you are carrying MRSA as we speak, and as you'll see. You bring that into hospital, it can get into peripheral intravenous lines into central lines, um, yeah, be the tunnel under the skin like the one in the centre or stuck straight into the jugular vein as it is here, cause post-operative wound infections, dreaded post-prosthetic uh, joint infections, it's horrible when they get infected, um, and even if you're having neurosurgery you can get into your meninges and cause meningitis. And those are just some of the examples. The most common way that we worry about staph aureus is when it invades the bloodstream, which we call staphbacteremia, 
and then um, uh, it can uh, cause uh, significant illness and sometimes death. So much so now that staph bacteremia in hospitals is, is essentially recordable in every hospital in Australia and counted on my hospital's website, if you ever want to go and look. So what about MRSA? MRSA means methicillin-resistant. Methicillin was the, the first antibiotic developed after uh, penicillin to treat the strains of staph that became resistant to penicillin. So they modified the molecule and made one that would treat the penicillin-resistant strains. But one year after its introduction, resistance was first recorded in the UK. And it's sort of grown since then. Unfortunately, the kind of resistance it generates makes it resistance to three classes of antibiotics at once, not just one. Um, and uh, the, the gene that uh, uh, carries the methicillin resistance um, code codes for a protein that reduces activity of the antibiotics. They don't stick as well to the target for those antibiotics, um, the classes above, um, and therefore you need a lot more, much more than can be given um, to a patient. And that gene is uh, called MECA, we love the little acronyms, we just eat them for breakfast in my job. Um, but MECA um, is an embedded bit of uh, DNA in a contagious, one of those contagious bits of DNA called SSC-MEC, which can spread from one staff to another. And spread it has. Not only that, it comes in at least 8 to 12 varieties, and that might look like a dizzying uh, array of uh, technology here. What you're looking at is pictures of genes in a segment of DNA and the arrows point in the direction that they should be read. Um, that's a pitiful, pretty typical gene map. More importantly, um, these genes uh, are, are mostly common. The MEC gene is sitting in the red zone there. Um, and what you can see most importantly here is that there are big long ones of SCC MEC, and they're big and long because they also contain other resistance genes. And so the strains are carrying these are multi-resistant. Um, and then there are other types that have been detected more recently um, that are quite small, like the one underneath type 4, that has no other resistance genes than MEC, um, than MEC and these are non-multi-resistant. Well, this sounds rather deeply scientific and what's that got to do with us? And the answer is a lot. When we know about SEC MEC and we know about the type, we know about the clones of Staph aureus that are causing problems. And what the world has seen, and Australia has demonstrated this beautifully since about the year 2000, is that we have very specific types of MRSA and very specific clones of MRSA. And the one that invaded uh, the Eastern States hospitals in the late 1970s, uh, healthcare associated, sequence type 239, which is now across the world, is one that contains the SSC MEC but with lots of other resistance genes inside it. ST22 is healthcare associated, happily introduced from the United Kingdom. Anybody of you who was born, raised or worked in healthcare in the United Kingdom could have had a chance of bringing it to this country. It's now well established in our nursing homes. And it only arrived 15 years ago maybe 20. What's more important is that 
totally independent of what was going on in hospital. SCC Mech jumped into staff in the community in Australia and it's done it many, many times since, and what I'm showing you are just the common ones, including this S sequence type 93, we call it the Queensland strain. Not multi-resistant, because it's got a type 4 SCC mech, which started um, in um, southern Queensland and northern New South Wales in the year 2000. There were none ever before. It's all very recent, and now it's the single most uh, common uh, MRSA in the country, even more common than the healthcare associated one. And these are the multi-resistance, what we call anti-biograms, counting the different types of classes of drugs that these things can be res uh, resistant to, and you can see the healthcare associated one being around for a long time is very multi-resistant, whereas the 93 is not resistant to anything other than uh, the methicillin. And we can track, and we have been tracking through a, uh, an organisation called the Australian Group on Antimicrobial Resistance for since uh, these claims as they evolve in Australia, and they're evolving quite rapidly. We've got the hospital-associated claims here, and you can see that, um, importantly, it's not evenly distributed across the country. When I look at resistance, when we look at resistance in E. coli and many other bugs, or strip pneumonia, for instance, it doesn't seem to be much difference from one part of Australia to another, but for staph aureus this has never been true and for MRSA never been true. As I said, Western Australia with a fortress policy has kept out these hospital associated claims um, and uh, they have very few of them as there's very few in the red zone there as a consequence. Interestingly, somewhat excitingly, these hospital associated claims are going away. We're going to claim responsibility. We, the Commission, we, safety and quality, is saying all the infection control practices that we've been promulgating uh, for uh, um, many years now, and certainly in the introduction of Standard 3 for the accreditation standards, have contributed to this and the rollout of the hand hygiene. Can I prove that to you? No, I can't. Some of these uh, uh, changes actually appeared to precede that, but I think that's because infection control has been become more and more embedded in hospital practice, so much so that um, people recognise that to do infection control badly is highly irresponsible. Um, and so I think the culture of infection control has slowly become embedded and it helps us to build such things as hand hygiene programs and make them stick across the country. So I think it's a fantastic story. Um, what's happening in the community? Well, first of all, um, that SEC mech, uh, particularly the Type 4, is jumping around all over the place. It keeps cropping up with new, new types all the time. And so we're watching nature uh, basically distribute those genes on a regular basis. And uh, the way they do that is to do it differently in each local region. And so you see a kind of technicolour change in each state and territory slightly differently. They're getting worse. We've actually passed the critical point now and in our agar surveillance program where we have more community MRSA than hospital MRSA. And we don't understand completely why, and least of all do we understand why community MRSA is getting worse, apart from some fairly bland facts like Australia is a very high user of antibiotics, 50% higher than the United States in the community. 
So that must be contributing to this resistance, but it can't give a complete answer either. So it's um, a moving target, and you've got to be vigilant, and you've got to have systems in place to follow these things. So why is MRSA bad? As I showed you, the multi-resistant strains of mission resistant to many classes of antibiotics create a problem for us. <coughs> um, but surely we've still got antibiotics for the methicillin susceptible strains, and we have here. We pointed out what the standard treatments flucloxacillin, if, if a serious infection, if you've got no allergies, if you're penicillin allergic, it's kefazolin, you've got really bad penicillin allergy or are resistant to, uh, allergic to cephalosporins, then we have to use this drug called vancomycin. For non-serious infections, I've written three possible treatments. The two commonest are in the ones in grey, and the most important one is in blue. What about serious MRSA infections? What about the MRSA? Well, the answer is if you've got serious infection, vancomycin, 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 whatever. Um, if you've got a problem with a patient with vancomycin, and if anybody's had the experience of giving it to some patients and watching them turn bright red, um, uh, it's called red man syndrome, even if you're a woman. And um, you have to go and use other drugs, and we can use new drugs that have come out in recent years, called, like gaptomycin, nothing to do with Wollongong, and uh, keftaroline, but they're both very expensive drugs. So there's a significant impact on the healthcare dollar um, when we have to do that. Um, what's also missing from that slide is that uh, treatment for non-serious MRSA infections, because it's dropped off in the, in the reshaping of it, um, is that there's nothing and then there's some other rather expensive drugs like fusidic acid and rifampicin that we have to treat MRSA with for non-serious infections. And I just wanted to emphasise why we worry about MRSA and it didn't become immediately obvious uh, to us. We, used, we just worry about MRSA because we've re restricted our choices, but we still have vancomycin. Well, what we've discovered in recent years, and this is uh, a cooperative that we established some years ago, um, looking at outcomes in staph sepsis, in particular 30-day mortality, um, that showed something we suspected in the past but didn't have good evidence for. And that is, um, if you're treated with vancomycin, you don't do so well. And the way we proved that was by uh, looking at the outcomes of cases of methicillin-susceptible strains, so we could directly compare with all those patients who were treated with flucloxacillin or kifazolin. And uh, the answer is you're twice as likely to die if you're treated with vancomycin. Uh, somebody's got a PhD out of trying to get to the bottom of it, and we still haven't done that. Um, and intensive work trying to understand why vancomycin is such a bad drug. My colleagues always thought vancomycin was a strong drug, and have asked for it on many occasions in terms of treating patients and sick patients. But now we know it's a weak drug, and we're going to need better options. What about those new ones? Well, all the studies show that they're not better than vancomycin. Well, that's depressing. So we've got to figure out how to control MRSA um, in a different way. So let me finish up by talking about treating staph with nothing. By nothing, I mean uh, any other treatment other than an antimicrobial. Um, and the, the evidence for not using antibiotics in many common infections in 
the community is very strong. One only has to visit the, um, the uh, Cochrane Collaboration website to look at all of the meta-analyses and all of the analyses to show the values. I'm just going to show the ones relevant to skin and soft tissue infections. There are two very important ones. There's a Co Cochrane report on the treatment of folliculitis and in Patigo showing that topical treatment is fine. And more importantly, my favourite study, really quoted, published in 2007, said when we need a treat uh, MRSA infection in the United States with an antibiotic that doesn't work against MRSA, it gets better at the same rate as the strains that uh, are susceptible. And the answer, uh, and the reason that they get better is they were treated with scalpel mycin. What's scalpel mycin? It's incision and drainage. It is probably the most powerful antibiotic still on the planet, and every surgeon swears by it. If you've got pus, drain it. And that's basically how people get better. So their own immune systems are doing the job, um, and antibiotics are not required or actually don't make any difference. So we always go back and point to the national guidelines, uh, which are now up to edition 14 after about 30 years. And there's a lot of sage advice about how to treat uh, infections and even avoid antibiotics. And finally, um, when we're desperate uh, and uh, uh, in general practice land in particular, but not unique to them, um, we have uh, a treatment of last resort. <laughs> <laughs> and this would be my favourite antibiotic. Thank you very much. <laughs>